All right. If you'll take your Bibles out, please open them to the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter. Hebrews chapter 6, and if you'll join me in standing out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. Hebrews chapter 6, and um, we're just going to read a couple of verses this morning, verses 7 and 8. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give to us grace in this day, and that you would teach us, Lord, to study and to treasure your word, that you would teach us, Lord, of our great need for it, and that you would remind us that in the midst of all that we do and all that we are, that you are at work among us, teaching us, growing us, strengthening us, that the light of understanding that has been given to us has been given to us only by you, and that no one apart from you has ever walked in truth, has ever walked in grace, has ever walked in a right understanding. God, it's only your mercy that brings that light. We thank you for it, and we ask for more of it. God, I pray that your word would speak through me this day, that you would take me out of the way, and that your unction would be upon the truth being presented. Let anything wrong or in error be dropped, and let the truth bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So... The picture that the writer of Hebrews is giving us here is a picture of rain. And he's giving us a, a, a simile, um, an idea that, that is more about something besides rain, but it, it's helpful for us to have the context of what's being said. To the Hebrew who was addressed in this, when they speak of rain, they mean rain in the land of Israel. And the word here is metos, and it's a wetting shower, a soaking one, not a drowning one. And it falls on the earth. And in Israel, it fell often. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, God told them, For the land which you are going to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Commonly, they received two seasons of rain. Jorah, which was the former rain, fell around planting time. And Malkosh, the latter rain, fell just prior to the harvest so that the grain was filled out in full. There were, of course, other timely showers in between. And the scripture tells us that God would often chastise his people by withholding the rain. In the same way, when God denies his word to a people, He says there will be no rain. In Amos chapter 8, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. So what the writer of Hebrews is talking to us about is a famine or a drought of the word of God 
and what happens when the rain falls, and how when the rain of God falls, the word of God is preached in power, and it produces a harvest, it produces fruit. He's talking about the proclamation of the word. And just like the land is transformed from barren to verdant, we drink in the word of God and it changes us. The rain that God gives is to be drunk in, just as is the natural tendency of the earth to drink in the water that's poured on it. So, the truth is, is that men cannot help but take in the truth somewhat, even if it does make them guilty before God. Every single one of us is born this dry, parched, barren earth. We have no spiritual life in us. We have no spiritual vitality in us. The scripture tells us that we are born spiritually dead. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and in sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So, The picture is not just that you are incapable, you're dead. You're not just inept, you're dead. You're not just confused, you're dead. And in that deadness, there is also the reality of your destiny if you are uninterrupted by the grace of God. Because the destiny of all men who are not called to life is that they are children of wrath. They are under the wrath of God at the time of their birth and for the course of their lives until God interrupts that. There is really no better picture of what this looks like than dry, parched, barren land. Unable to produce anything of value whatsoever. Unable to yield any righteousness. Unable to do anything that is spiritually beneficial to anybody. Now, I understand that that's not, that's not popular speech in the world today. That everybody in the world wants to believe in the essential goodness of man. That everybody in the world wants to believe that man is capable of doing good things. And that man, if he just digs in and works hard, can change the world and make it a better place. And we can do some of those things to some degree. But the better place that we make it is still death. The best that man can do will do absolutely nothing to transform what needs to be transformed. Under the auspices of common grace, everything we yield is worthless. Though a man may be wise in the eyes of the world, though he's able to unravel the mysteries of science or weave webs of beautiful words to snare the heart and mind, though he's charismatic and winning, everything is empty. Everything has no power and no hope. And this is the reality that we must understand if we are going to be focused on the proclamation of the gospel. Because even though these differences might make somebody more likable than somebody else, they have no power to save. And often, we ourselves, as the people of God, are confused by the fact that somebody is likable. And we think, well, he's a good man. We think he's a good person. He he does good things. But we have to look with deeper eyes than that. We have to understand that what the world is, apart from Christ is dead. 
We have to understand that all of these things, if they are not aiming at Christ, yield nothing of any value whatsoever. And people will spend their entire lives and wrap up their entire existence in this pursuit to create something that they think they're supposed to create that's going to make the world a better place. But when they do it apart from Christ, all they're doing is compounding sin and adding error to error and damning people. Because what's the impact? People will begin to believe in those good things that they are creating. They will begin to believe that, oh, look, this person's making the world a better place. Let's follow them. Let's do what they're doing. Let's think like they're thinking. Because all of those good works that men build themselves into, they are always have a component of, come join me. Come do what I'm doing. Come think what I'm thinking. Here, I'll write a book and tell you all about how you should be thinking. And what's it doing? It's binding men into the darkness. It's throwing bad seed into dead earth and hoping it's going to produce a garden. In the end, it will yield nothing of any value because we are parched, we are barren, we are empty. The key thing that is needed is moisture. It's the rain. And it's nothing in the earth itself. It is the rain of the Word of God that is needed. It is the power of God communicated to the heart of the one who hears. We need the Word. We need the Word attended by the power of the Spirit of God to plant it deep in our lives and to make us new. The giving of the rain is sovereign grace. And there is nothing in nature that is more God's personal venue than the giving of rain. You know, we we do all kinds of things to try and make rain. We do all kinds of things. We seed clouds. We we produce all sorts of things. But in the end, it's empty. It doesn't work reliably. Why? Why? Because the rain belongs to God. It's His to give. It's His to withhold. Even in Genesis, before the Lord allowed any rain to fall, listen to the language of the Scripture. Genesis 2.5, it says, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So, what does it tell us, even in the beginning, that God causes the rain? So if God causes the rain, it also stands the reason that God, what? Withholds it. Amen? You know what? When the land is in a a drought and the crops are dying in the field, instead of turning to science, we should be turning to God. Instead of cursing His name, we should be praying. We should be asking Him for mercy. We should be asking Him to forgive us. We should be asking Him for rain. Because all of these things stem from His hand. They are all His to do. The the rain displays the goodness of God. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 14. So let me give you the setup here. What's going on is that Paul is preaching at at, at Lystra, excuse me, and and they they are impressing the people so much that the people think that Paul is is a god and Barnabas is a god and they are about to offer sacrifices to them because of the power that's been displayed and the wise words that are being spoken. And verse 14 is where we're going to pick this up. When, When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and they ran out among the multitude crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you. 
and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made all the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, fulfilling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So Paul is telling them, look, don't don't honor us, honor God. And God has been showing you who he is. This is a common theme throughout scripture. In Romans chapter 1, we're told that there is enough wisdom and enough light in, in the world around us, just in the creation that is there to display the very attributes of God, that every single one of us knows enough of God because of the creation around us to stand guilty before Him. Now, there's no way to know the truth of how to be saved apart from the Word of God. But there is enough to know that there is a God. There is enough to know that God exists and that He is exactly who He says He is. Um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. In the end, when God gives us rain, he reminds us that his power is the one that we rely on. It teaches us to fear him. Jeremiah 5.24 says, They do not say in their heart, Let us now fear the Lord our God who gives rain both the former and the latter in its season. He reserves for us the appointed weeks of harvest. It's important for us to remember that you have no hope, not only for the rain, but for everything that it represents, for the sustenance of your life, for the very things that give you breath, the very things that give you hope, the very things that give you everything that you need. It comes from God, or it doesn't come. And in this country, we have a real problem with this, because we are very want to say I've done this by the strength of my own right arm. I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I'm a self-made man. We value those, those traits. It's part of our national identity, a man who is capable and, and who is um, talented and who has strength and who has determination and who has will. We honor that as a nation. And to some degree, we should. But we must remember that all of those things come only from the hand of God or they have no value. And if those things cause us to exalt men rather than God... They're sinful. In fact, they're idolatrous. When we exalt man where God only should be exalted, it is sin unto us because only God can bring these things to us. Listen to Jeremiah 14.22. Are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? Or can the heavens give showers? Are you not He, O Lord our God? Therefore, we will wait for you since you have made all of these. You see, God gives rain where He will, and He withholds it where He will. Look at Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4, starting at verse 7. God says, I also withheld rain from you. When there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon. And where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In the same manner, God gives or withholds the rain of his word. Have you ever considered what a powerful blessing it is to grow up in a land where the word of God is still openly preached? 
Have you ever considered what a blessing it is that you have in your home, I would wager, three Bibles per household as a minimum? (laughs) Maybe more than that. You recognize that there are churches in the world where there is not one Bible in an entire church. And where the scriptures that are being used are handed about secretly from home to home, page by page, so that everybody can be encouraged a little bit. We have been given such rich blessings in this place. God has provided so powerfully for us. And instead of honoring Him and worshiping Him as a nation, we have turned our back on Him. We have hated Him. We have sought to cast Him down from His place. And we have done everything in our power to destroy the memory of His name from among our people. And all of those actions, beloved, are taking place on our watch. It's our responsibility. We are the church of God in this age. And those decisions that are being made may not be being made by you, but they are happening under your eyes and under your nose. But what are we doing about it? God calls us to be seeking His face, crying out for mercy for this land. He calls us to not only be actively involved in the process, but He calls us more than that to understand that the process is worthless apart from Him. We must seek His face. We must cry out to Him. We must collectively unite together in prayer ceaselessly and give Him no rest until He sends the rain. Just imagine the the entire land as this garden that is your responsibility to tend. And you stand out there and, and you have no water and you have no hope for water unless God sends it. This is the picture. God sends the rain, and when he does, it yields fruit. Okay? That's how it happens. So since God sends the rain and it yields fruit, what's being withheld? The rain. It it, it is our responsibility to be seeking his face, that he would do this work, that he would send what is needful, that he would cause his people to grow. We need the rain of the word, and he will send the rain of the word. Hosea 6.3 says, let us now, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. He is going forth to establish as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. He gives the word of his spirit and he has given the word of his spirit. When we open the Bible, we have the promise that God is teaching us, right? Why do you have the Bible in your hand? Because he spoke to the prophets, And they faithfully recorded his word, and it was transferred unto us. We have it because people have been faithfully guarding and preserving it. We have it because God, by his mercy, has made certain that we, as the people of God, have heard his truth. This is his job to do. It's our job to stand in the gap and to be faithful with it. We've been given the prophets. We have been given preachers who speak the truth. Some. We've been given the mere written word. I cannot stress enough how incredibly blessed we are to have access to the written word of God. Do you read it? Do you look at it as if it is life to you? Or do you look at it as something upon which to set the TV remote control? Is it the thing that... That, that drives you? Do you long to be in God's Word? Do you set aside time for it? 
Do you carve time out of your life so that you can spend it in His Word? Or is it the thing that gets shunted aside first because you're busy? There are a million ways that you can take the Word into your heart. You can listen to it as you drive. You have apps on your phone right now that you can just plug in and listen to the Word of God. But I would still commend to you the importance of taking time out to sit down and read His Word. To engage with the written Word changes you in ways that other things don't. Seek His face. Understand how God speaks to you by His Word. And ultimately, we have the final and best expression of God's Word, which the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 1 is what? The person of Jesus Christ Himself. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's Word to us. He is the final expression of God so that we might know who God is. You see, God has made it clear and made it possible that His Word be preached both in season and out of season. Believe it or not, as messed up as this land might be, God still has men who are faithfully preaching His truth. And He has them all over the place, in tiny little churches, speaking the truth of God to a handful of people. He's even got a few of them that are preaching the Word of God to a lot of people. But in the end, God remains faithful because He always preserves for Himself a people. He always preserves for Himself a remnant. Our calling is to engage in this process, to recognize the fact that as God sends His Word and sends the reign of His Word upon us, that that we are given this opportunity to bear fruit, seek His face, Cry out to Him to plant His truth in you. Cry out to Him to make His truth bear fruit. Cry out to Him that He he might allow you to be fruitful in the effects that it has upon other people. Because when the rain falls, there will be effects. God's Word does not return to Him void. We have that promise. Every other method you want to name can return void. It can have absolutely no impact if God chooses that it would be so. But His Word will always accomplish the purpose for which He set it out. I don't know any other thing that you can look at and say, that's going to work 100% of the time. And yet we'll chase after every other thing that only works 5% of the time. What is it that God promises will always yield produce, will always yield works, will always yield the fruit that He intended? His Word. So let your conversations be liberally salted with His Word. Let your your interactions with people be something that is always around the Word of God. Be always mindful of opportunities to inject truth into conversations. God's Word is the thing that helps us grow. It's the thing that binds us together. It has an intended purpose. What are those purposes? First of all, to save the elect. Understand that. It is given to us To call the saved, the elect, unto God for salvation. God has a people that He has determined to save. Do you know who they are? I don't. He does. So how do you find them? Well, you go out and you speak the Word of God to people. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word. And when you go forth proclaiming the Gospel and speaking the truth of God's Word, what happens? The elect are drawn in. God uses that to draw people 
to himself. Romans 9.11 says, The children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. And Romans 11.7 says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So God uses his word to convert the lost, to draw people unto himself. Romans 10 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We tell people the truth of God. We proclaim the word of God. We speak his word in power. And what happens? Faith is granted unto them by him. That's his work. That's his calling. That's his opportunity. That's his responsibility. He gives us his word to convert. He gives us his word to edify, to help us to grow. And he gives us his word so that those who he is calling would be sanctified unto himself. John 17, 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays, Sanctify them by your word, for your word is truth. When you approach the Word of God and ask God to give you mercy and grace so that you might understand and take it in, that process makes you holy. That process of engaging with the Word of God, when the Word of God presses on you and it it pokes you in uncomfortable places, all of that is designed to shape you into the image of Christ. All of that is designed to make you conformed unto His likeness so that you are more holy, so that you are being sanctified by that interaction with God's Word. It's what He gives you His Word for, primarily after you've been saved. It corrects, it rebukes, it chastises, it makes you holy. It makes you more like Christ. So wherever the chosen are, God will make sure that His Word will be preached. So that might give us some shred of hope for this land. Because his word is still being preached. That means there are still people out there that God is intending to call to himself. That he has chosen for himself. Look at Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 9, it says this. The Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So God sent Paul into this city, and he told him, don't worry about it. Yeah, I know you're not popular. I know the Jews are going to come and try and kill you again. I know that all these things are going on, but don't worry. Corinth is a town in which I have many people. That should be good news to us. Because God is sending you out into this place to preach His Word. So it stands to reason that there are still people that God is calling unto Himself even right here in this town. You say, well, I don't see them. Well, are you preaching to them? Or are you just living life alongside them being angry because they're not doing the things that you want them to do? Proclaim the Gospel of Christ. Be the voice of God in the midst of your culture. Be the voice of God in the midst of the things that are going on. Because remember, all of this is going on on our watch. And if the truth is that we need God to change our hearts to love Him, we need God to change their hearts that they would be saved, the mechanism that God has set in place by which to do that is the faithful proclamation of the Word of God in the ears of the lost. 
And in this town, that's you. This town is our responsibility. These people are in our care. Proclaim to them the truth of the gospel. Speak the truth of God's word. And do not allow other things to distract you from the main thing. Stay at it. Be very clear about who you are and what you are about. The purpose of God according to election must stand. And it must be the thing that shapes our thinking about our circumstances. Paul said this in 2 Timothy. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus which with eternal glory. There is a necessity according to the purpose of God. And even if there is only one person in an entire city, God will make certain that the word is being preached. Look at Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, starting at verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord... Please come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Lydia was one of the first converts in Philippi. The Philippian jailer, of course, preceded her. But what we find is that this, this presence of God going with us calls people. It draws them out. And you don't know who it is. And you don't know what the circumstances are. God had Paul in Philippi. He had Lydia in Philippi. And God made sure that their paths crossed. Be sensitive to what the Spirit is doing in your life. That you might speak the word wherever you go. Whatever circumstances, whatever context you find yourself in. Be clear that you are called out to be a testimony to Christ. Micah chapter 5 verse 7 says, The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord. Isn't that a cool picture? That God plants you in the middle of the lost, in the middle of this dry, parched, barren land, and He plants you there like dew. He plants you there like water from heaven. This idea that God is giving you to them. Because this mercy of the grace of the gospel is really ubiquitously given. We do not preach only to the elect. You recognize that, right? There is no little yellow stripe on their forehead telling us, oh, this one is chosen by God. Go talk to them. You'll speak to a lot of people who will hate you for the task. You'll you'll have people that you know and love that when you start talking to them about the truth of God, they'll stop being your friends. They'll say mean things to you about about God. They'll say mean things about you on Facebook. They'll make sure that people don't like you. Okay. If your calling in this life is to amass more friends than anybody else, then you might want to rethink that. Because that's not what you're about. What you're about is the gospel if you belong to Christ. In whatever circle you find yourself, in whatever sphere of influence God has placed you, you are called out for the sake of the gospel. 
You are called out because you are the merciful rain in the midst of a dry and parched land. You were once barren earth, but now you are the very dew from heaven, given so that God might water this land, given so that God might bring life unto this people. Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says, Praising God and finding favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And Acts chapter 13, verse 48 says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. The people that God knew, the people that God chose, the people that God called unto himself. You say, okay, that's fine. I want to see the lost one, and I want to do this. But sometimes I'll go a long time ministering and being faithful in the gospel and see no fruit whatsoever. What's the point? Well, does the gospel have other things that it does besides saving the elect? Absolutely it does. The scripture tells us that the very first thing it does is it restrains sin. When the church is vocal about the truth, sin is not so much fun for the world to engage in. You recognize that primarily, sin finds its strongest root in the silence of the church. When the church will not stand and speak for the truth, when the church will not say, no, this is wrong, and not for any reason other than God has said it is wrong. That's our job. That is our calling. We should not be afraid of being canceled on social media. We should not be afraid of being put out of of the bounds of, of popular opinion. We should be willing to stand and say, God has said abortion is murder and it is wrong. And that's enough. And we should not ever compromise nor be complicit with anybody who wants to keep abortion around in any shape or form. Period. We should be completely unworried about saying that God has an opinion about gender and sex and that homosexuality is an abomination in His sight and that He in the beginning made two genders, male and female, and that's it. And He determines it by your DNA. Not by anything else. That's not my opinion. That is the Word of God. That's our calling to restrain sin, to speak the truth. Because when the church is silent, sin grows, but the church is also then complicit. And we need to be clear about that. And I have been present when people who ought to know better have said, please remember the world is watching. I don't care that the world is watching. I care that God is watching. And I am accountable to Him. And to Him alone. But here's the hint, guys. So are you. You are accountable to speak the truth of God wherever He sends you. No matter what. You see, in the end... The gospel being faithfully proclaimed, the word of God being faithfully articulated, that means the law and the gospel, all of it handed out, the truth of what it is. God's not soft on sin. He's not ambiguous about what he allows and what he doesn't allow. He's not wishy-washy on any of the things that our culture is so wrapped up in. God says what he says and what he says he means. And the church has a responsibility to speak this truth. 
Because in the end, just the speaking of the truth restrains sin. The speaking of the truth also defines and refines our understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Think about this for a minute. How many people do you know who, when they talk about these hot-button issues, they're only, the, the first words out of their mouth is always, well, I think, I don't care what you think, and I don't mean to be mean about that. I, I just mean that what we think is not that important. What matters is what God says. And if you name the name of Christ you should not have any difficulty discerning what is the right stand to take on any of the issues that are plaguing our culture right now. Because God is very plain. This is not multiple guests, figure it out on your own. This is open the book and read the word. Because God has answered every single one of our questions. So, if you're going to be out there proclaiming the gospel then you need to be clear about what God says in His Word. You need to be clear about how God calls you to address the culture and what God says is the standard for truth and lie, and that's all you need to know. You don't need to get wrapped up in the swirl of of sewage that is the opinion of the world being bandied about on the Internet. Because that's all it is. It's just sewage. You need to be in the Word of God and understand what God has said and speak truth into darkness. So knowing the Gospel and proclaiming the Gospel will help refine your understanding of what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Speaking the Gospel will also relieve men's suffering. Say, how is that even possible? Because the number one thing that destroys people is guilt. You want to know what the impact is of a murder? Go talk to somebody in prison. Even the most hardened criminal can remember. They're never free of any of it. Am I right? That's correct. Mm -hmm. She works with them all the time. There it is. The ones who have been freed by the blood of Christ. There is peace. You want to alleviate suffering? Tell people how they can have peace with God. Not some imagined peace dreamt up by your ability to create magical, mystical tours, but by the fact that you can tell somebody how to come into the presence of the living God and know that you are clean and accepted. That's the power you have in the gospel. Because every single person lives with regret. And every single person lives with the guilt of their terrible decisions. If I had the ability to reach, as Tony pointed out at Dan's service, if I had the ability to reach into your darkest mind and show on the screen somewhere the week that you've had, everything, every thought you've ever thought, every word you said, every place you looked, everything you did, this room would be empty. Not a single person would want to endure that. We all understand what it is to be guilty. And anybody who says they're not guilty, they're deceiving themselves. 
And according to 1 John, the truth is not in them. We all sin. We all fail. And so we should have a great sympathy for that. And and for those who are wrapped up in that guilt with no hope, we should be incredibly sympathetic to that and understand that we hold in our hands the power to release them. Preach the gospel. Proclaim to them the truth of who Christ is. Proclaim to them the reality that He died for our sin, that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of Christ in Him. Tell them that when God looks at you, He doesn't see your sin, but He sees His Son. Accepted in the Beloved is how He defines you. They need to know this is true. But they're not going to know it if you're not telling them the Gospel. You have the power to relieve men's sufferings. And you have the power to convict their conscience. And to bring them to true justice. Believe it or not, justice is still a concept that most people want. They just don't understand what it is. They don't understand how justice really works. They think justice just works for them. But they all want justice. And the lack of it kills us. Beloved, carry the gospel. Show them where the error really is. Be willing to stand in their, in their face and stand in the gap for them and convict them of sin by the truth of God's Word. But carry in one hand the truth of the law and carry in the other the truth of the Gospel. And don't. Don't ever give one without the other. They need both. They need both the Gospel and the law. Ultimately, though, since the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the elect and the unelect. Proclaiming the gospel will always leave men without an excuse. You say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Well, from one perspective, it may not be. But understand this. Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, deserves the worship and honor and praise of all men. He deserves that. He deserves nothing less than absolute obedience and allegiance from every single creature on this rock. And every man needs to know that. When he stands before Christ on the day of judgment, he will not be able to say, I didn't know. That's your responsibility. Proclaim the truth of God's Word so that Christ will be honored in hearts where He is now hated and despised. Now ultimately what that means is that God calls all of us to carry the Gospel, but He calls some men to preach, to actually do what I'm doing right now. To actually stand and to deliver the truth of God's Word, and with that is a terrible responsibility. It is a tremendous weight and a terrible amount of burden. And and those who are not called ought not to presume. Those who are called are hopeless. (laughs) There's no way out of it. You're called, you're stuck. Jeremiah put it this way. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah, the weeping, wailing prophet who labored 50 years in Jerusalem, And according to Scripture, we can't find one single convert he ever won. Now that 
is a hard road to hoe. He said, I'm not, I'm done. I'm not going to make any more mention of him. Then he says, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. I can sympathize with Jeremiah. There have been times where I have spent hours crying out to God, let me go, I do not want to do this anymore. And God says, yeah, sure, try. (laughs) Why does it matter? Because the vehicle by which God has appointed the lost to be saved is the faithful proclamation of the gospel. And what is my calling at its root? It's not to save them. My calling is to train the church for the work of the ministry so that you can go forth and share the gospel so that the gospel can have its impact. Listen to the impact of the words. We've talked around it. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 13, it says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel, preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. See, God gives gifts. Ephesians 4 says he gave gifts to the captives and and equips them for what he's doing. And what that means is that when you are being faithful to do what God has given you to do, the preaching of the word will be accompanied by power. His spirit will be with you in the task that he appoints you to do. You're not out there alone doing this work. God doesn't just give you the book and say, okay, now go forth and do your best. He gives you His Word and He gives you His Spirit and He puts His Spirit inside of you so that as you go, He is with you. Remember what Jesus said about the Spirit when He first gave Him. He said, He will bring to mind everything that I have said. You say, but I'm I'm bad with words. I'm going to forget. I'm going to mess it up. I promise you, you will. (laughs) But I also promise you that even in your worst effort, God's going to do more with an effort to give the gospel than your best effort at not. You follow that? He's going to be more faithful in your imperfect obedience than your perfect disobedience. He's going to win the world. And the vehicle by which he has determined to win the world is the faithful proclamation of the gospel by his people. So what that means is this, at the bottom of it all. When the gospel is faithfully proclaimed, the world will be changed. But what needs to happen? We need to be faithful. We need to be faithful in prayer. We need to be faithful in proclamation. We need to be faithful in the way that we live our lives. We need to aim ourselves at His truth with all that we are, both to live it and to obey it and to proclaim it.
We need to seek His face for the mercy of His Spirit. We need to be crying out for revival. We need to be crying out for awakening. Beloved, the church needs to rise up and be the church. All the other things that fill up our lives, they're not the main thing. You can do them with the main thing. And I know many of you are. But you can't lose sight of what matters most. Preach the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give to us grace. We pray, Lord, that as we seek your face and obey you, that you would teach us to walk and to to hear, to heed, and to trust. And God, I pray that your grace would be upon us as we go, that the mercy of Christ would be manifested unto us, God, and that the mercy of Christ would be manifested through us. Lord, help us to proclaim the gospel in a way that's winsome and powerful, but truthful. And let no one who knows us have any honest way in which they can say, I never heard that from you. Let us preach to them all. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.